Well, Greater Old Church, my name's Tim. It's good to have you with us today, and uh, it's Thanksgiving this week, and so happy Thanksgiving. I hope you have a good one uh, this week as you get with family and stuff. We're going to be talking about today about being grateful. Uh, we're going to close out this um, series on meeting Jesus with an interesting story found in Luke 17. So if you'd like to get your Bibles and turn there, that would be wonderful. I'd like you to join us there, okay? Back in 1863, Abraham Lincoln, right in the middle of the Civil War, or close to the middle, made a proclamation. And here's what some of the words he used in that proclamation. The year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. No human counsel has devised or has any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who while dealing with us in anger for our sins has nonetheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that we should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and with one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning uh, in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. You know, that's, uh, thanksgiving has changed a lot since then, would you say? Sure has. Um, not about Thanksgiving and praise. It's more about the Detroit Lions and the Cowboys and Turkey. Uh, oh, Eagles. Okay. Uh, it's, but it's really, it's become that. It's about Black Friday. It's about all those things. It's really not about Thanksgiving and praise like it uh, used to be. Uh, remember when you were kids? And I remember when I was a kid way back in the day, and we made turkeys out of outlining your hand, and then you took them to, to home, and they put them on the ice box. and a lot of times we didn't have turkey at Thanksgiving. We had different things. And, uh, but, you know, I think of Thanksgiving and those kind of those thoughts. One thing that's, that I have to admit it's redeemed over the years is we are with our families, and I hope that uh, this, this week you get to enjoy being together with your families. But I hope, also hope you remember to praise God and to thank God for the things that he's given us. It's in the midst of, of this painful war in the United States that we hear this proclamation about thanking God and praising God. Isn't that something? And I know that many of you here uh, this year, you've went through a lot of stuff. You've been through some things, and it may be tough for you to thank God. But um, there's plenty to be thankful for when you stop and think about it. There really is. Um, today, uh, we're, I want us to talk about a fella who we learn how to be grateful from. I don't know who reminds you oftentimes to be thankful, but um, it's a Samaritan. Jesus calls him a foreigner that reminds the Jewish people, God's people, to be thankful. And of all people that should be thankful, it ought to be God's people, yet we're probably the most forgetful. We tend to, to forget about being grateful to God. Let's pick it up here. We're going to look at Luke 17 here in verses 11 through 19. And if you're following with me, I'm reading out of the NIV Bible. Now here on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Living with leprosy is one of the worst things that could ever happen to you, especially during Bible times. There's no medicine for it. There's no, there's no help for it. Basically, you were a mess and you were in trouble if you, you were uh, diagnosed with leprosy. Look what Le- Leviticus 13 says here up on the screen. It says, Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkept, and cover the lower part of their face and cry out, Unclean, unclean. 
As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. You don't have to know a lot about leprosy to know it's a debilitating disease, especially what it does to the body. It's like your body, it's, you're a living corpse of decomposition. Your body begins to fall apart. One of the first things to go is your voice. And yet these guys with a loud voice are crying out to God for mercy, for pity. I wonder what that voice must have sounded like loud in, their, in, in such a way. A raspy, horse-like voice from ten men looking for help. It disfigures the body. You lose fingers and toes. Your, your face, just your eyes, your eyes can fall out. It's just a, it's just a mess. Um, it's been called the AIDS of, that's what we would compare it to. It's been compared to AIDS. But the worst thing about having leprosy, if you can think of something worse, uh, is the separation that you have from your family and friends. For you can't be with them. You have to live alone. You have to live outside the whole city. Uh, William Barclay, a little commentary my mother gave me years ago when I was a teenager. Look what it says here up on the screen. He found this, found this from a historian. If the wind was blowing from a leper, in your direction, a leper had to stand 150 feet away from you. That's half the distance of a football field. And so it's from a distance. We catch this story. As Jesus is traveling, he comes across ten men, and it's from a distance they cry out. They, they, they're usually, they cry out, tome, tome, or unclean, unclean. You know, and people would make sure they stayed away from them. They'd wear their clothes on purpose. I was, when I first read this, I told the first service, I said, it says here, let their hair must be unkept, and, and they wear torn clothes. These are not teenagers they're talking about. They're talking about people with leprosy. And you know, imagine these guys are walking around. People can see from the way they looked, the way, the way they, they, and if they didn't, wasn't sure, they could just hear them say, you need to stand clear of me. I have leprosy. And yet these guys call out to Jesus and they use a term that only his disciples would use. The only other people that used this term were his disciples. And it was the word master. They say, master, have pity on us. What do they mean by master, have pity on us? They're saying, master, you have the power over everything. We know who you are. And we know if anybody can cure us, if anybody can help us, if anybody can solve our problem, it's you, Jesus. Because you are master of everything. You are chief commander is what master literally means over everything. I love this. As I read this, each time I read this, I can't help but realize you're never too far away for God to help you. You're never too far away. God's help is always available to you, even from a distance. And Jesus doesn't touch these lepers, though he could, and he would. You know, he would do it. He's willing. He doesn't touch them. All he says is, go show yourselves to the priest while they have leprosy. Now you go show yourself to the, you show yourself to the priest when you're already well. And he's saying, go and show yourself to the priest. And they leave without even any hint of a cure. And as they're walking back, they begin to be cleansed of this leprosy. I think it's interesting, before they're even healed, great lesson here to think about, folks. Before God does anything to them, they obey. They just obey before any results take place. That's faith. You know, God calls you and I to do things, and we say, well, what's going to happen? How's it going to end? We just need to take God's word for it. It's going to end for good. That's all we need to do. And it's interesting, these guys are, you know, you look at them, Jesus says, where's the nine? Look at this in Luke 17 here uh, on your notes now. He says, we're all ten cleansed, only, no, only one comes back. Nine do not bother to come back. And he says, didn't all ten get cleaned? Weren't all ten cleansed? Yes. Then where are the other nine? Where are they? Is it only this foreigner? This guy is the only guy that's going to thank me? A foreigner, by the way. Isn't it interesting that when you're, when you're in misery, it doesn't matter the race, the background, the gender of the person. When you're both sick, you're sick. You know, here's Jews who wouldn't associate with Samaritans are together. Misery does love company. They have something in common. And we all have something in common. Regardless of race, regardless of gender, 
regardless of social, up and down, wherever you are on the ladder, educated or uneducated, we all are, have, a, have a terrible problem with a thing called sin. We all have that in common, and we all need the pity of God, the mercy of God. It's something to remember. He says, where, he says what's, what's the deal? Where are the other nine? And I know you say, yeah, where are those guys? Why aren't they thanking Jesus? They should, those ungrateful lugs, man, what's wrong with them? Well, before you get too tough on them, remember something. And I'm not making excuses for these guys. Just to remind you of something. They came to Jesus for help. They sought Jesus. And they obeyed him without anything happening yet. They're just ungrateful. You can be a good person and be ungrateful. I've told you this story before. I like to hear it again. It's a Christmas time. And my grandmother always got us clothes. Grandma uh, Collins. Danny and I always got clothes. We needed clothes. We, were, we didn't have a lot of money. Okay, we, She was always making sure we had plenty of socks and shirts and stuff. And little boys, you know, they tear stuff up, man. They, especially clothes. And I wanted toys. I wanted toys. By the way, last week when I talked about Big Bruiser, Mike Dania sent me an eBay picture of Big Bruiser for $9. And he said, Merry Christmas. And I go, oh, really? You getting this one? Oh, I'm not getting it. Oh, well, it's a good thing because it's damaged, it says, and I don't want it damaged. Now. Come on, Mike, come on. Now, anyway, but, but my grandmother would never, never give us toys. Well, one finally one year she gave us toys. Walkie-talkies. So excited. But they're the kind that had the string that was between them. And I go... These aren't real walkie-talkies. And all of a sudden, my left ear started hurting. Because my mother had a hold of it, dragging me to the side room. How can you say that to your grandmother? I mean, your grandmother, she, she always gets you clothes. You're always complaining. And she finally gets you toys. And, you know, she's old and she's trying so hard. Don't you care? Yes, I care. Mom, I'm so sorry. But they're not real walkie-talkies. Oh, man, the ear gets twisted again. You're so ungrateful. Remember those talks? Remember giving those talks? Well, here we are, you know, we, our kids get something from somebody, and what do we say to them? Don't forget to say, and what do we say? I don't like this sucker. No. <laughs> what do we say? Thank you. And don't we just feel like they really were sincere? And how, how, how can we do that to our kids? Because it was done to us. We had, gratitude is not a natural thing. One out of ten people say thank you in this passage. I wonder if that ratio is still there. And by the way, nine of those were Jewish, God's people, Israel, God's chosen people. The one that was grateful wasn't even a believer in God, really not much. He was a half-breed, an outcast. And isn't that funny, isn't it ironic? It's that kind of person that always reminds us to be thankful. Not that all of them are always half-breeds and outcasts, but it's always somebody else that's teaching us, isn't it? Stephanie, you know, uh, um, my, my uh, sister-in-law says to me one time, you know, Tim, you just think about all the things that God has prevented from happening to you. This is a woman with cancer who has 6 to 18 months to live now. And she's saying to me, aren't you grateful to God? Think about all the things that he's held back. Why is it always somebody else that's teaching me to be thankful? To remind me to be thankful. I'm with my brother, and we're just talking about stuff, and he says to me, I just feel like I'm on bonus time with her. They're right now with relatives over on the other side of the state right now, visiting relatives. Tim, I feel like I'm a bonus time. And, and if I say anything remotely critical of Denise, how can you talk that way? Anything. He's on me. Why do I have to learn from somebody else? It's because I'm selfish. 
It's because I have a thing called pride that keeps me from saying thank you. Because if I say thank you, that gives the idea that I need help. And I don't want help. So even thank you is hard to say. Anybody else like that? Hmm. Maybe so. And it's a foreigner. It's another person. (laughs) It's not the believers. It's a foreigner that teaches all of us and the crowd that Jesus is speaking to what gratitude really looks like. Oh, what's what's this foreigner teach me? What's this Samaritan teach you and I this morning about gratitude? Let me give you four thoughts that I think that he teaches us. Number one, gratitude counts God's blessings. Gratitude keeps track of God's blessings. Gratitude counts God's blessings. Look what it says here. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God. Here's the group making their way back to the temple. You know, they're going to show themselves to the priest. That's required. If you read Leviticus 13, you'll find that under Jewish law, a priest had to declare you clean before you could come back into society. And so he's, so here they are, all ten of them. They're making their way back, and one of them says, Hey, man, your face is looking different. Man, I think you're starting to clear up. Really? Yeah. Hey, I'm starting to get some feeling in my fingertips and my feet. And all of a sudden somebody goes, Hey, I think we're getting better. You're looking really good. Your hair's coming. Look at that. You got color again. This is, you got your eye back. How'd that happen? That's crazy. You know that, and they got to be juiced up. They got to be so excited. You see somebody's face who was deformed and parts coming back. Wouldn't that freak you out? Wouldn't that excite you? Only one remembers. Only one thinks about it. Only one says, I've been healed. And he goes back to the one who healed him. He counts his blessings. Again, what are these guys doing? Maybe they're counting the minutes to where they can finally see their wife or their children again. But this man says, before I go be with my family, before I go be back and in, in my, my, get my job back and get my life back, I'm going to go back to Jesus. And I'm going to thank him. I'm going to count that blessing. Look what the Bible says here in James 1.17. Ask yourself this question, by the way, as we're reading these. Are you counting your blessings? When's the last time you really counted them? Again, if the ratio is 1 to 10 that people are thinking gratefully amongst believers, I wonder if that has changed, that ratio has changed. Just simply ask yourself, when's the last time I really sat down and counted my blessings? It says here in James 1, whatever is good and perfect comes to us from God above. That means the good things that you and I have, the perfect things, they come from God. Look what David says here. As they're getting ready to build the temple, he brings his, his special contribution and all the people follow. And he says, he prays this with the people. Now, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. These things did not really come from me and my people. Everything comes from you. How do you count your blessings? The car you have, the house you have. Well, my name's on the title. Uh, my name's on the deed. Yeah? And that job, that promotion I got, I earned it. Yeah? And how you count it? Or do you think of them as something from God? Gifts from God. Blessings from God. Count your blessings. Count your blessings. Everything comes from God. Everything good. Everything perfect. Psalms 103, verse 2. Yes, I will bless you, Lord, and not forget the glorious things He does for me. I'm going to remember. And I remember when I count my blessings. I think on your notes at the bottom of the, of the page, at the other side, is a place where, God, I want to thank you for. I want to give you, you know, not now, but I'm just saying, sit down and think about what are the blessings, all the different blessings that God has given you. Instead of counting everything that's against you, count the blessings that God has given you. Number two, 
Gratitude gives God the credit. Gratitude gives God the credit. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. I thought that was interesting. He's praising God in a loud voice. He sees that he's well. He counts that, and he goes back to the one who blessed him, and it says that he's yelling it. Why is he yelling it? Well, maybe he's used to yelling. Tom, Tom! You know, maybe that's it. Maybe he's just used to yelling. That's the only way he knows how to, how to communicate. Oh, come on. He's yelling because he's excited. And he's wanting to make sure everybody knows who blessed him. He wants to make sure God gets the credit. He's not afraid to tell people who healed him, who blessed him. And he wants everybody to know. When Jesus asked that question, where are the nine? Who's he talking to? To the Samaritan? Where's your other nine guys? No, he's not talking to him. He's talking to a crowd of people. And they've heard this man praise God for what's going on. What do people hear from you? What do people hear from you? Has no one returned, he says, to give praise to God except this foreigner? I've learned something as I've studied this idea of gratitude this week. The first thing is, ingratitude complains. Ingratitude complains. When you're ungrateful, you're you're critical. When you're ungrateful, you tend to complain. When you're ungrateful, you pick it apart. When you're ungrateful, sometimes, guys, I know when I'm ungrateful, I'm silent. I don't say anything. I don't do anything. Ingratitude is indifferent. But what's gratitude? Gratitude praises. Just look up the word gratitude in some dictionary and you're going to see one of the meanings of gratitude you know, is thankfulness it's, or praise. Or look up the word praise and the word thankful is somewhere in there describing it. And this man is very clear about what he's grateful for. And he praises God. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses is talking to the people. And he says, but watch out. Be very careful to never forget what you've seen God doing for you. May his miracles have a deep and permanent effect upon your lives. Tell your children and your grandchildren about the glorious miracles he did. I've got a feeling it's God wants us to praise him Not just to our children and grandchildren, but to the world. To where we work. I get with, uh, every other week I get with my repair guys. um, That's Bill Stegall, Tom Tarantino, and Ryan Donahue. And we get together at Breadco and we talk about business. That's what we call it, business. You know, we sit around and talk about how's it going here, how's what's going on there. And this, and, and this week was another example of the kind of meetings we'd normally have. And I go, how's it going? And Bill goes, well, actually, it's going quite well. I go, it is? Yeah. And I watched this conversation go from, this is going, you know, this is what's happening. Tom goes, yeah, uh, uh, yeah talking about the business and stuff. And then all of a sudden, someone at the table always says, God has been good. I don't have a. I love working with Christians. I love working with them. These guys are a joy to work with. I don't know if you're a joy to work with. If that, your work for people that you work with could say that, okay? But I find these guys a joy to work with because when we get together, I've got a guy, I've got a, I got a brother sitting, and I'll go to my church too. I got a brother sitting here whose mother-in-law is on hospice and wife is sick, and he's giving glory to God and praise to God. I got another guy sitting over here who has two homes, going through a disaster right now, trying to get this other home ready, exhausted all the time, works like crazy, crazy, works hard. Works. Ryan Donnie is the kind of guy, if you said, there's the wall, go through it, he doesn't even ask you how thick, he hits it. And he is sitting there thankful to God and reminds me, just about every week, of something spiritual. 
And if they don't do it, guess what Bill does? You know, God's been really good to me this week. That's how, he, that's how he gives his report. Well, God's been good to me this week. This is what's happened. He opened this door. He doesn't say, yeah, all my charm and talent opened the door. Well, he doesn't. I'm thankful. Bill, I want you to know I'm thankful. You know, you, you three guys, and it's not just those three guys. There's lots of people. Denise Davidson, who works in the office, will sit there and she'll go, I just collected a bill. It was $900, a delinquent bill. And I go, wow, thanks, man. We need the money. She goes, money cometh. I go, what? What? Money cometh. And I know what she's talking about. I start laughing because she says it's a sermon she heard one time about what brings money into our lives, you know. And, 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 and she talked about just being faithful. And, and, and she gives glory to God. God has been so good. I need that. I need reminded all the time. And it's always somebody else that does because sometimes I'm the last guy to say, yeah, God's been good to us. Uh, somebody will hint at it and I'll go, I'll get in now. Oh, God's been good to us. As if I thought it up. And I just want you to know, people need to know, obviously, who blesses your life. Your kids need to know, parents. Kids, your parents need to know that you think of the Lord. Your teachers need to know about it. Your work, your co-workers need to know about it. You just think about it. At restaurants, people need to know you give glory to God. Why can't we bring God, praising God, in everyday conversation? Well, it'll come off as a cliche or gimmicky. Then don't let it be a gimmick. Don't let it be a cliche. Let it be sincere. And just say, God's been good to me. I don't know why I think about that Saturday Night Live guy. Baseball been very good to me. I'm not saying do that. I'm not saying do that. But just say, you know, God's been good to me. Oh, you're giving glory to God. You don't think, now look, you, you got that promotion. You got that money. You did that. He goes, no, God did all that. He had mercy on me. And he blesses. He just blesses. Again, ingratitude complains. Ingratitude uh, boasts, brags. Gratitude praises it praises God. Psalms 147 verse 7 says, Sing out your thanks to Him. Sing praises to our God. And by the way, it doesn't say, if you can sing. It doesn't say, if you can carry a tune, then you can sing. Now, I know you might hear somebody say, Oh, we don't want to hear you sing because you throw everybody off. You know? You're a tenor, and you sound really good 10 or 12 feet away. I'm not saying that. I've had people say that to me, too. Tim, you've seen tenor. Really? Yeah. Better tenor, 12 feet. Thanks a lot. But I, I'm simply saying, some of you, and I'm not, again, you know, so you're going to get on us if we don't sing. Well, that's up to you. I, all I say is the Bible says, sing out your thanks to him. I've sang next to people, and I sit in the front row, so I get a good dose right over here at the young adultery, okay? And I come in, you know, I'm exhausted today. I am exhausted today. I am tired. My knee hurts. I've been working too much. And I'm just wanting to sit back and relax. And what I hear, I hear Matt Nieswag singing praises to God. And it's encouraging. You know, the Bible says when we sing to one another we, and teach one another with psalms and hymns. And so, well, how does that work? What is he teaching me? To praise God. To give glory to God. To give God the credit. So what? Your knee hurts. The rest of your body's in good shape. There's a lot of other things that happen that are really good, Tim. Praise God for that. So I'm just saying, sing out, sing out, it says, your thanks to him. Maybe you should try that. I know you're not going to all sound good. I used to sing next to a guy in grade school named Rusty James. He was awful. He's the only student I've ever met that was told to leave chorus. I said, give him a triangle or something. I mean, don't just, oh, he was hurt by it. You don't think I can sing? I'm going, nobody thinks you can sing, Rusty. And he loves singing. And I'm saying is that, you know, sometimes we just need to praise God. It don't have to, you know, the Bible says make a joyful noise, and it may not sound joyful to you, but to God it is gold. So sing out and praise him. What's wrong with that? That's good. How often, how many opportunities do you sing out to God? In the shower? In the car, sing out to him. 
That says in Isaiah 12 here, thank the Lord, praise his name, tell the world about his wondrous love and how mighty he is. See, it needs to be obvious who's getting the credit. And in a world where everybody thinks that they're it, you need to make sure that people know God's the one. God's the one. He's the source of everything good and everything perfect. And anything that you and I have, it's from God, isn't it? So make it obvious to your friends. Make it obvious to your family. Number three, gratitude leads to worshiping God. It leads to this worship of God. And I see it in this statement here in verse 16. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Samaritans didn't do that, first of all. You just didn't do that. But this guy did. He's so grateful, it draws out of him worship to the one who is master over everything. So there's this submission. This, and I, would, I was want to like I say, what I see is this gratitude is expressing humility before Jesus. And that's a sense of worship. The Massey tribe in West Africa has a very unique way, it's an unusual way to say thank you when they want to say thank you to someone. What they do is they bow and put their foreheads on the ground and say, my head is in the dirt. And by doing that, they're saying, you, I am thanking. You are the greater one, the generous one. I received something from you. This is something we wouldn't, how many of us would do that? When's the last time you bowed to your employer, thank you for the paycheck? No. Or bow, uh, when's the last kid that's ever bowed to his mom and said, thank you for a wonderful, scrumptious supper, mother? My head is to the ground. My forehead is... No, we don't talk. We wouldn't do that. Why? Because that's pride, doesn't it? Pride keeps us from talking like that and, and viewing people or viewing those that have helped us like that. We're so independent. But gratitude, see, is humble. It expresses humility. It doesn't matter if, if you appear weak or in need. And see, that's what worship is. It's bowing at the feet of Jesus. It's humility at the feet of Jesus. In Psalms 99, not on the notes or up on the screen, but it's in your Bible. It says, exalt the Lord our God, bow low before his feet, for he is holy. Oh, when's the last time you've ever bowed to God? Got on your knees and just said, Lord... I worship you. You are most important in my life because of all the things you've done for me. My goodness. What else could I do? What else can I do but humble myself and be at your feet? That's the thing I noticed, that worship is humility. It's this humility. But I also know something else about this gratitude, that it leads to serving God. I think this guy, instead of going home and getting on with his life like the other nine, he stops and goes back and worships Jesus before he does anything else. That's a good practice. Wouldn't you agree? To worship God first, to seek Him first, before you do anything else. That's what worship is, right? And that's what He does. And I believe He spends the rest of His day thinking about what He put first. And His worship had an impact on everyone and everything He did. Everyone he met. Look at this here in Psalms 116. See if you notice these three points we've made so far in this lesson in this passage. What shall I return to God for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful saints. Truly I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem, praise the Lord. What's he saying here? He's dedicating himself to God, to serve God because of all the things he's done for him. How can I return what you've done for me? I know what I'll do. I'll serve you. In the men's retreat, we watched a movie called Unbroken, and it's also in a book form about Louis Zambrini, 
and Louis Zambrini uh, grew up a troublemaker and a mess, but, but finally breaks out of that, that by uh, becoming a runner in his track team. He breaks all of his brother's high school records in track. He's so good that he qualifies for the 5,000 meter for the 36 Olympics, which, by the way, uh, Jesse Owens was in as well. And he's the youngest man to have done it, and that record still holds at 18 years and so many days. This guy finished eighth in the race, but had the fastest lap of less than a minute. They knew he was going to break the four-minute mile. They were sure he was going to do it. But war breaks out. And Louis Zambrini, he's now a bombardier on a B-25 bomber. After a near-fatal crash on the landing strip, he gets another chance to be in a B-25, but it's the worst plane in the whole fleet. This thing is made up of spare parts, and they call it the Lemon. They nickname it the Lemon. But they're out to try to save some guys who crashed in the Pacific Ocean. And on their way out, they crash in the Pacific Ocean. They end up in a life raft. Three of them only survive. They end up in a life raft, and for 47 days, they eat fish and drink water from rain, and they nearly starve to death. And Louis Zambrini, would, in an interview, said, You know, you pray in a life raft like a lot of fellows did in foxholes. It's just a floating foxhole when you stop and think about it. That's all a raft is. And he prayed this prayer, Lord, if you help me and deliver me and get me out of this, save me from this, I will dedicate the rest of my life to you. Well, after 47 days, God answers that prayer. But a little differently than maybe Louis expected because it was a Japanese warship that finds them. And for two years, he's in a Japanese camp, a prisoner of war camp, and he is beaten and treated awful for two years. Finally, the war ends. He comes back, and uh, the movie ends with him uh, embracing his mother and his family, uh, and then they still it, and then you get to see the actual photograph, and they completely redid that photograph. And the movie ends. Richard Harder, who was doing uh, one of the lessons on uh, Pride, in his lesson goes, I really wish we could watch the rest of that, the, the trailer or the rest of that uh, additional stuff they have. And so I said, well, if everybody gets done soon enough, we will. Well, everybody blew through their lessons. Did you hear that? Hecklers still follow me today. Anyway, yeah, they were. They were good lessons. And, and so we decided to watch it. And you see where Louis Zambrini comes back. The movie's called Unbroken. The book's called Unbroken. But he is broken to pieces. He's so messed up. He has post-traumatic stress disorder where he is choking what he believes in a dream. This Japanese soldier, the bird, who beat him to death. Most, just beat him and kept beating And he's actually choking his wife. He wakes up choking his wife. He gets into alcohol. He's a mess. Then one day his wife says, I want you to go with me to a Billy Graham crusade. And he's like, I'm not going to no Billy Graham crusade. Yeah, you are. Come on. And Louis Zambrini said the first time, the first night he went, he sat in the back row and said, that's enough. It started. He was out. And he left. He comes back a second time. His wife persuades him again. And as he listens to Billy Graham, Louis Zambrini said, all of a sudden I remembered my vow I made to God. That prayer on that raft and that prayer in that, in that solitary confinement and as the bird beat me with an inch of my life, all those prayers that if he God ever got me out of this, I would serve him. And so I made that decision. And Louis Zimbrini served God until he was 95 years old. He was still doing crazy stuff for people that people at 95 just don't think of doing anymore. Because he wanted to give every second. He looked at his life like a race. He ran, he ran all out to the very end. And he lived his life for Christ because he was grateful what God had done. He could see God move. Maybe not the way he likes it. Most of the time God does that, doesn't he? Doesn't he move in ways we don't like? But he moves nonetheless. And oh, how we should be grateful. We should be grateful to God for working in our lives. Why did he survive? Let me ask you, why have you survived? There's your answer. If you can figure that out, you survive because of God, because of the mercy and grace of God. Be thankful. Be thankful. And it should lead you 
Let it lead you. Let it encourage you to serve. Every time, guys, I get selfish, every time I get where I'm thinking of just myself and I'm done, I'm not helping anybody, I'm not, or I'm thinking of myself and maybe for a, for a little moment, when I start thinking of what God has done for me, I get my towel out and I start serving. Don't you? We just don't think about it. We don't think about it, do we? And this foreigner is reminding us what gratitude can do. What's the last thing, Tim? Well, the last thing that the Samaritan teaches me, I wanted to pass on to you is, is that gratitude leads to more of God's blessings. When I'm grateful, I'm led to more blessing. Now, this Samaritan is blessed in a special way. Look what verse 19 says. He's come back to God, come back to Jesus, and Jesus says this to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, there's three different words in this passage I want you to remember. There's the word healed, the word cleansed, and the word well. The reason I want to remind you of these words is because they're significantly different. The first one is a physical healing. When it says, when the guy realized he was healed, it meant, I realized that I was healthy, that I was healed, physically healed. He went back to Jesus. That's what that word means, a physical healing. When Jesus says, weren't all ten of you cleansed? He's talking about removing his impurities. He's saying, you've been cleansed. You've been made clean. They're free of leprosy. Not only are they physically well, they're free of leprosy. But then there's this word well that he uses right here. And this is the word, the Greek word, sodio. And it means to be made whole. Specifically, it means to be saved. In other words, Jesus is saying to this man who came back because he was grateful, I've got something else I want to give you. Really what I wanted to give all ten. What I wanted all ten to have to begin with. What God wants every person to have. Salvation. And he says, your faith has saved you. And folks, a lack of gratitude, a lack of gratitude robs you of this blessing. A lack of gratitude will rob you of any future blessings. You know, it's so sad. I watch this often. People will come to Greater Alton, and they're financially a mess, and God helps them get their house in order. They come to Greater Alton, and their marriage is a mess. It's a flop. But by the mercy of God, they talk to some people. They finally open up. They get some help. I know some folks that have come here, they had no job. I don't have a job. I don't know what's going on. It's the, because they don't have a job, they're driven to God. Like misery, it drives us to Christ. It's a good thing. If a bad thing leads me to a good thing, that's good. And then they get this job, and it pays so well. I notice about all three of these. I've seen this over the I've been here the, almost the longest. I think I may have been here the longest, okay, of all of us here. And I'll tell you what's sad about it. I've watched those people leave, too. They get what they wanted, and they're robbed of what they need. Because they're ungrateful. They, oh, I got well. I got what I wanted. Thank you, Jesus. I'm on my way. Wait, I got something else I want to... There's something else you need. You need most of all. And only through the road, through the way of gratitude, do you find it. I want you to see this, because it's very important you don't miss this. Look at Romans 1. There's a lot of stuff in the book of Romans. And there's a a lot of things that this passage teaches. But I want you to notice a little thing in it I didn't notice before. A lot of people use this to talk about how people give themselves over to sensuality and God hands them over and all this. And yes, that's in there in Romans 1. But look what it says about this. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. So they didn't praise and worship Him, but they weren't grateful either. Why is that so important? It must be terribly important to be grateful. He says, neither did they give thanks to Him But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Their ingratitude just came from twisted thinking. But ingratitude continued to twist their thoughts. Change the way they live. 
Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. What happened to them? Well, one of the things I can, I can get from the passage is this. Because of a lack of gratitude, they lost their relationship with God. They lost the biggest blessing of all. See, ingratitude will rob me from more of God's blessings. Let me give you an example, just a few. In other words, he gives me gifts and talents. But instead of using them in the kingdom, I use them for myself. I use them to better myself. I use my building skills, my artistic skills, my teaching, my, my being able to articulate skills, my empathy skills, whatever, or abilities and talents that God has given me. And because of ingratitude, I use them with my plans and my goals and not God's plans and not God's goals. And I'll tell you what, guys, God has a better plan for me than I do. And because of ingratitude, I'm robbed of what God has planned for me. He planned to give these guys salvation. All ten of them. Only one gets it. Why do the others miss it? Because of ingratitude. You see, I don't get to experience what God plans for me when I'm ungrateful. It's important to be grateful. He gives me a good job. But ingratitude robs me of using it to spread the gospel. I don't share my faith at work. I don't talk to people about Jesus at work. I don't use the money that that I've, I've earned and give it back to God. And give some of it back to God. It's funny to me, again, I've been here a long time. I've watched this many, many times. People who don't contribute don't stay. They have nothing to leave. Those that contribute tend to stay. But those that don't, you know, it's funny. For the church to function and to help people, we have to be generous. If I'm not generous, the church somehow is harmed by that. We can't help like we can't, like we could. And those very people that don't get that help, that didn't give, end up leaving. It's like it's a boomerang. It's, it feeds on itself. Am I making any sense there? You know what I'm saying? God gives me children. I've got two young men now. So thankful for. So thankful for. Two godly guys. But you know, guys, God gives us children, and what ingratitude can do, it diverts my focus from, from what they could do spiritually to what they do academically and physically to su- to, at such a point. And by the way, should our kids know how to read? Yeah. I want to learn how to count. Yeah. And I, I want them to be able to, to uh, you know, do things, accomplish things. I, I think sports is good. But when it gets crunch time in their life later on, how far they throw a ball or how fast they ran in high school ain't going to matter. In other words, it's more about what they get. I want to make sure they have the greatest clothes. And the great, but they're not getting Jesus. They're not, what are they going to do for the Lord is not on my mind because of ingratitude. Gratitude keeps my mind on the things of God. And when, I, when I'm grateful, it leads to more and more of God's blessings. I, I see them. They, I, don't, I don't miss as many. It's definitely much better. Let me close with this passage, Ephesians 1, verse 3. I want to ask you to, not just this week. It doesn't say, let us give thanks this week. We will. And I hope at the, I hope at the dinner table, you have the courage to pray at your dinner table. Don't let your pagan family keep you from praising God. Like I say, you don't have to be crazy or, or and you know, get your voice all south, southern, kind of like that, and talk about Jesus. You don't have to talk like that. Okay? Just be real. Be a disciple wherever you are, okay, this week with your family. Love those people. Act like Christ. But let, it, let, it also, let this also be a mantra for your life. Let us give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For in our union with Christ, because we're union with Christ, He has blessed us by giving us every spiritual blessing 
in the heavenly world. And you know, their physical blessings are nice, but the heavenly ones are better. And he gives those to you. So thank God. Fill your heart with gratitude. Don't forget to praise him. Let it lead you to worship and serve him. Let it motivate you to sacrifice. And most of all, let it lead you to more blessing. You have a card in your, your uh, bulletin, and it's just a, this week, you know, you, maybe you've got somebody you want to pray for that you're going to see at Thanksgiving. Maybe pray for yourself when you meet them. <laughs> or maybe, maybe you've got some need, some struggle that's going on. I want to say to you, whatever you're going through right now, if it's a tough time, praise God anyway, because you're going to get through it. You're in the right place. You're doing the right thing. It is not going to end in a disaster. It'll end, it'll end with God being glorified. It'll end good. So um, take advantage of that card. We're going to, you could drop that in the plate when, when uh, we pass it after the second song. Um, you also notice a little thing in there about uh, volunteering for the kids' ministry. And if you'd like, you're interested in that, fill that out and put that in the plate as well. God bless you with a heart full of gratitude. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this lesson. Lord, thank you for a time we could be together. Father, I, I pray you fill our hearts with gratitude. Father, are we counting our blessings? Am I counting your blessings? How do I know? Father, I know the blessings I count, I don't complain about. The blessings I count, I don't whine about. The blessings I count, I'm not critical of. Father, I pray you help me count more, more of them. And Father, help us as we count that blessings, that list get higher and higher, and our complaints, that list of complaints gets smaller and smaller. Father, help us give you the credit. Remind us that you're the one, you're the source. It's not just the blessing, but the the one who gives the blessing that needs to be honored. Help us give praise to you. Make it obvious where we are. Not in some fanatical, kooky way, Father, but in a way that would really draw people to, to remind them of their blessings from you. To remind them that you care. And Father, let, let our gratitude lead us to worship, to serve you. Let it motivate us. I know, Father, many times when a simple thought of thankfulness has made me work a little harder and volunteer for a little bit more. So let, let our gratitude, Lord, lead us to serving you. Let us return to you the service, our service, for all that goodness you give us, Lord. And Father, we pray that we won't miss the greater blessings ahead of us. You say, no eye has seen, no ears heard what you've prepared for your people, Lord. And we anticipate greater and more blessing because we know the kind of blessings you give. And Father, we, we love you. Help us follow you. Help us be good examples this week. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.